Better give you that picture. It shows the, the central story of all of the book of Jonah uh, that we're so concerned about. So Jonah's been spat out by this great fish, thankful to God for all of his mercy towards him, and now he heads off in obedience to God to actually deliver God's message as God's prophet to the people of Nineveh. There's a modern-day picture of the city of Nineveh, which is near the Tigris River in Iraq, near the modern-day city of Mosul. A fair chunk of it's been excavated, and this is actually a rebuilt city gate in that location, which is just a reminder that we're actually talking about a real live place and true historical events. Nineveh was a very powerful city. If you think of the most powerful city in our world, you think in Washington, maybe? Florida. Morrissey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the coast, not over on the coast. Beijing, I don't know, the most powerful city, uh, incredible size, incredible wealth, very impressive. So Jonah heads in to this place courageously, really, given the nature of the people that he's bringing God's message to. Uh, like we were saying before, should be really concerned for his life. Let me give you some... Um, our background information that helps us to understand the task he's got before him. Uh, this is a stone relief, a carving of King Ashurnasirpal II, an Assyrian king. He's in the middle there. Uh, let me give you a quote from this king that gives us an insight into what the Assyrian Empire was like, just how, how much Jonah would have hated these people because of who they are and what they did. Uh, this is King Ashurnasirpal. He writes, I caused great slaughter. I destroyed, I demolished, I burned. I took their warriors prisoner and impaled them on stakes before their cities. Just check and make sure we haven't got kids in the room. Yeah. All good. Many of the captives I burned in a fire. Many of them I took alive. From some I cut off their hands to the wrist. From others I cut off their noses, ears and fingers. I put out the eyes of many of the soldiers. I burnt their young men and women to death. You can see what Jonah's caution is. It's not ill-founded. He is, he is full of hatred for a people that are absolutely awful. Which is why if you go back to chapter 1, you see that God says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. This is what God has seen and heard and smelt of the Assyrian people, an absolute wickedness. And so God sends Jonah to preach against this city of Nineveh. It's a bit like God says to Jonah, go to ISIS, go to the middle of Baghdad, go to somewhere in Afghanistan and preach to the Taliban or some people that are, that are absolutely embedded in absolute evil. And Jonah lands in Nineveh in this great city, a large city with more than 120,000 people in it. And he preaches straight away, no time wasting. He jumps straight into the city and he speaks the word of God. Have a look with me at verse 4. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Simple message, isn't it? Very straightforward. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Jonah could have added that God is slow to anger, abounding in love, gracious and compassionate. And if you repent, God is likely going to show mercy. But he doesn't want to say that. He brings the message he wants to see happen. He wants to see Nineveh overturned. Ironically, that word in the original Hebrew scriptures means exactly what we've got. 
Nineveh would be Nineveh would be turned over. And ironically, even though Jonah is hoping that it is overturned and destroyed by God, we're going to see that it is turned over quite radically in 40 more days or even in less than that. Not quite in the way that Jonah had hoped. Have a look with me at verse 6. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let, let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. So Jonah comes with this message of the coming judgment of God and it sees a wholesale repentance of the entire city of Nineveh. Not just the people, but the king, everyone in the city has turned to God in repentance and hoped and called out for mercy. Jonah is pretty courageous, isn't he? goes into the city, the heart of his enemies, and he actually says, God is going to destroy you. Judgment's not a popular message, is it? It's really, really common that churches want to avoid this and not talk about it. But actually, God oftentimes uses the message of judgment to save. He's in the business of warning people of the coming judgment. If you look at the words of Jesus in the Gospels, it is often that Jesus is talking about be prepared for the coming judgment. Do everything you can to avoid the coming judgment of God. In Acts, Paul preaches in Athens to a bunch of pagans and part of what he said is this. Uh, he's referencing God. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he's appointed. What does Paul want to major on when he's bringing the gospel to the pagan world, the world of Athens? There's a day coming when God will judge. Be prepared. Be ready. And so that's the message that Jonah brings to the Ninevites. In response to Paul's preaching in Athens, in Acts 17, what happens? Many sneer. Friends, that's going to happen today. Many say day after day goes by, there won't be a coming judgment of God. Surely we don't have to worry about that. But there are others in Athens who respond by saying, we want to hear more. We want to know more about this. So let's not shy away from the preaching of the coming judgment of God. It's hard to get a photo from the 18th century, so I've got this picture. Uh, this is uh, an image of George Whitfield, a very famous preacher in the 18th century. Uh, Open-air preacher who preached to thousands and God powerfully used him in America uh, to bring many to faith. But I want to talk to you about a man by the name of Thorpe, who was uh, a fellow who interacted, he and his friends interacted with Whitfield's preaching on judgment on this very topic. Now let me read you the account that we've got from another preacher about Thorpe and his companions. Let me read you this. Thorpe and some wicked companions were infuriated by the open-air preaching of that prince of evangelists, George Whitfield, the friend and companion of John Wesley in the 18th century. Not content with rudely interrupting Whitfield's public meetings, Thorpe and his friends went to a tavern there to spend the night in making merry. So Whitfield's not present. They're in a local pub 
mocking Whitfield's preaching of the coming judgment of God. A proposal was made that each in turn imitate the preacher with a prize given to the best performer. This proposal was received with loud applause. The three companions took turns in mockery, reading aloud a verse of scripture and pouring out a stream of blasphemous ribaldry, imitating the mannerisms and style of Mr Whitfield. Thorpe then arose, boasting that he would excel them all. He announced his text. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. The sequel was most unexpected. As Thorpe quoted the text, it proved its living power, for there he stood, a guilty and condemned sinner in the sight of God. His conscience awoke and threatened him with the judgment of God for his blasphemous intentions. The Spirit of God laid his mighty hand upon him. Instead of following the evil example of his wicked companions, he, like Balaam of old, was forced to give utterance to divine truths. As he proceeded with his address, he spoke truths that gripped the terror-stricken consciences of his guilty companions, and they were spellbound. They dared not stop him. They were awestruck. When Thorpe finished his discourse, not a word was said about the prize. He went silently to his home, a changed man converted to God by his own sermon. He knew by personal experience that the word of God is quick or living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing it into the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and, it, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Friends, what an example of the word of God, the word of God's coming judgment, turning hearts to God in repentance and faith. Here is a man who preached to himself the truth of the coming judgment of God and was converted mid-sermon, mid his own sermon. When I came to faith, a very big part of me doing business with God and investigating God was the fact that I had become thoroughly convinced that if I died and faced God, he would judge me for all of my sin and send me to hell for an eternity. And that truth, that gospel truth, drove me to the cross to plead with mercy from a God who willingly shows me mercy in the person of Jesus. So friends, let's not shy away from telling people of the coming judgment of God. Let's do it wisely and carefully, but truthfully, telling others of the coming judgment of God on sin, which is right and just and proper. And we need to teach it in order to make sense of the cross. Otherwise, there is no sense whatsoever in what Jesus has done for us at the cross. So preach God's judgment, speak of God's judgment carefully, wisely, as well as you possibly can. But speak it knowing that God may well use it to save many. Now back to Jonah. Did Jonah preach forgiveness when he turned up to Nineveh? Uh, did he preach forgiveness if they repented? Well, it doesn't look like it in the story of Jonah, does it? In chapter 3, he's just going to nail the fact that God is going to overturn this city. And he looks like he loves it. But the king seems to respond in some sense of hope. Have a look again at verse 9. Here's the king's response after they repent and turn from their evil ways. Verse 9, who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. See, Jonah knows that their only hope is to turn to God in repentance and turn from their evil ways. But Maybe he just never preaches that because he really wants God to destroy them. 
That's what it looks like when we look tomorrow at chapter 4. He's going to sit outside the city and wait and hope for the coming judgment of God. But they actually do turn to God in hope. Jonah doesn't hold out the hope of God's grace and mercy. He hopes for judgment. But actually, we know that God is a God of compassion and forgiveness for anyone who would turn away from sin. And the Assyrians have got heaps of it. The Ninevites were evil, absolutely evil people. Yet God is so richly generous that his overflowing mercy is covering this whole city as they turn to him and cry out for mercy from their one true God. What's the end result of all this? Jonah's angry at the mercy of God, and he doesn't want the people of Nineveh to even hear of it. But God is going to be at work through Jonah to bring this wicked people to repentance and to show them grace and mercy. Have a look at verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he threatened. That's what Jonah was so concerned about. We're going to find that out tomorrow. Our God is so rich in mercy that no matter who you are or what you've done, turn to him in repentance and faith, and God is willing to offer forgiveness. All of your sins are nailed to the cross. There is no one amongst us in this room that has done anything too bad, too wicked, too evil to ever know the forgiveness of God. No matter who you are and what you've done, run to Jesus. And all of your sins will be laid on him. And all of his righteousness is to your gain. Our God is rich in mercy to anyone who turns to him in repentance and faith. That's what Jesus preached when he came. First words in the book of Mark, in the Gospel of Mark. Repent and believe. The two things that Jesus calls us to respond to. And it happens for an entire city. Repentance happens for everyone, from the least of them to the greatest. All of the people, including the king, have turned to God and cried out for mercy. Who knows? Maybe God will show mercy. Genuine repentance, friends, is not just sorrow or disappointment of being caught out, but a genuine change of heart and mind. Genuinely turning to God and turning away from sin. Have a look at verse 8, the second half of verse 8. This is what the king requests of everyone. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Friends, godly sorrow leads to repentance. That is, a change of heart and a change of thinking results in a change of action. And that's what we see in the city of Nineveh. Genuine repentance at the message of the coming judgment of God. Praise God that he worked so wonderfully amongst this entire city. In the end, verse 9, the king says, Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. That's a big question of the book of Jonah. Is God going to show mercy to rebels? Is God going to show mercy to Jonah as well? But the question is, Will God be generous and rich in mercy towards these pagans, the pagan sailors, the pagan city of Nineveh? And the answer throughout the book of Jonah is yes. Salvation is from the Lord and it is freely and richly given to anyone who would turn to him in repentance and faith. 
And as you look through the book of Jonah, God is so busy bringing everyone to salvation in the book. It's the theme that runs throughout all of it. The whole city turns to God in repentance and faith in Nineveh. And all of the sailors in the book in chapter 1 turn to God as well. God is rich in mercy. And all of this in Nineveh comes in response to the preaching of the word of the coming judgment of God. So let's not back away from that word. It is part of the gospel. God has set a day when he will judge the whole earth, every man and woman, by the man that he's appointed, Jesus Christ. If judgment is coming and mercy is offered from that judgment, that is the gospel message we need to major on. That is what God uses to save sinners. You see, for the Ninevites, while they were God's enemies, they were reconciled to God through God's reluctant prophet and messenger, Jonah. It's a wonderful message. It gives us an insight in the incredible heart of God for the lost. That a whole city is in opposition to him and to his people, actively opposed to God and God's people. Now God seeks to set up God seeks to reach out and to seek and to save the lost. What an incredible God we have. That God is worthy of worship and praise in response to his incredible mercy. So in Jonah, we have to expect the unexpected. The enemies of God's people, Israel, the Ninevites, who are the enemies of God's people, are turning to Israel's God in repentance and belief. And yet Jonah is continuing in his unexpected response. Salvation comes from the Lord. That's what he said in chapter 2. But he sees salvation coming from the Lord and he's deeply, deeply unhappy. We're going to see more of that tomorrow. Jonah is displeased at the grace and mercy of God. He's pleased for himself in chapter 2. He loves being saved by the fish. He loves God's grace and mercy to him but he hates it for others. Now, I suspect there's not many of us who are like Jonah here in this room. We don't have enemies like Jonah had enemies. We don't have people who love to destroy us, to cut off our hands. So we don't have enemies in the same sense, but most of us, most of us, might be a little like Jonah in some other ways. Not actively opposed to others, not actively opposed to taking the gospel, but just disinterested. Or even perhaps we see a group of people and we think in total opposition to what Jonah thinks. We think God would never save those people. Jonah's great concern is that he will save people. Our great concern is sometimes God can't save those people. They are so far away from God, he could never, ever save them. Now, if I'm honest, I often put people in that too hard basket as well. I often say there are people that are just so hardened to the gospel that God would never save them. They would never turn to him in repentance and faith. They're too far away. But in reality, no one fits that category, do they? And the whole city of Nineveh is an example of that. And so is Thorpe, a man who is so actively opposed to the preaching of the gospel, he would mock that preaching in the presence of God's preacher And in the pub with his friends, he would actively mock the gospel. 
And yet the God of the universe, who has this overflowing mercy and generosity to the world and to the nations, is able to turn the heart of Thorpe to him in repentance and faith. There is no one who is so hopelessly lost they cannot be saved. And today I think I need to repent of my lack of trust in the God of the universe being able to change hearts. Now, friends, maybe that's you too. Maybe we've got people in the too hard basket that we think are outside of God's mercy. We've stopped praying because we think they cannot possibly be saved. We've stopped engaging with them because we think there is no hope for them. But we worship a God who wants to seek and to save the lost. That's what Jesus told us. His heart is for the nations. His heart is for the people of Lake Mac. That they would know his grace and mercy the way you do. And so there is no one who is too far gone. And perhaps today we need to re-engage with God's mission to seek and to save the lost. Luke 11, Jesus says this, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The wicked and adulterous generation of Jesus' time is like the wicked and adulterous generation of our time. People are rebels towards God, all of us. The whole world around us are either in the evil and disregard for God like the people of Nineveh or in the religiously upright rebellion of Jonah. But everyone fits in that category of being a rebel towards God. All of the people that we are looking at around Lake Mac are turned against God. The God of heaven and earth chases those people down, not in a storm anymore, but in the person of Jesus, in his perfect life lived in our place and his death died in our place. God chases all of us down to show us mercy, not to bring judgment, but to bring mercy. That's the character of our God. We're going to see tomorrow that's what Jonah is so deeply concerned of, that God is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And that's the God we want to major on and praise and worship and speak of in response to this amazing mercy. And now, friends, we've got a greater prophet than Jonah with a greater message than Jonah. Jonah preached judgment, which drove the people of Nineveh to true repentance. And as a result, they were saved. Jesus comes preaching judgment and mercy to anyone who would repent and believe. And they will be saved. Jonah came hoping that God would take the lives of his enemies. Jesus came giving life for his enemies. Jonah was angry at God's grace and mercy. Jesus is God's grace and mercy. And the people of Nineveh hoped for compassion and forgiveness from God. But you and I know the certainty of God's compassion and forgiveness in Jesus. Because something and someone greater than the person of Jonah is here. So friends, let's hear the warning. The people of Nineveh repented at the lesser message. But we have the far greater message in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have a far greater responsibility to both repent and believe ourselves 
and to take this life-saving, life-changing message of the cross to the lost. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the way the book of Jonah opens up our hearts and our minds to your character. And so we want to praise and worship the God who saves. Salvation comes from the Lord, and for that, Lord, we are so, so thankful. So drive us to worship and to speak and to praise you in all of our being. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.